Welcome to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. Hey, Peter. Hey, Lori. How you doing? Good. You know, I want to remind everyone that the show is a project of advancing the interest of animals, the nonprofit. That you're the president of that, aren't you? I am the president. How convenient. Are you secretary or something? <laughs> something lower than president. Anyway, check advancing the interest of animals out. It's aianimals.org. Yep. And the show's been on how long now? We're in our eighth year of production. If you like what you hear, consider donating to our organization, aianimals.org. And if you want to listen to any of the prior shows, just go to the website, animalstodayradio.com, and they're all there. You can also subscribe on iTunes and listen on your mobile device. That's fun. That is fun. What do you have there, Peter? (laughs) I have, oh my goodness. Remember Anthony Weiner? I know Weiner. He was the former candidate for the mayor of New York City. Well, he was being interviewed on Fox 5 in New York, and he was asked if there was any way he would come out of retirement. You know what he said? He said, only if there's a Trump on the ticket in the New York mayoral race. Uh, As you know, Donald Trump Jr., people are talking about maybe he'll run for mayor. It's been denied strongly. However... Wiener said the following brilliant statement. He's known for his words of wisdom. Anyway, he said, and this is a quote, I would come out of retirement just to beat him like a rented mule, and then I'd turn the keys back over to de Blasio. That's terrible. I know. Beat him like a rented mule. So when I first read that, I and then I went to listen to it, it's like he had this little planned thing. But anyway, I read this and I'm like, I've I've never heard that idiom before about animals. And I know a lot of animal idioms, as you as you know. So I wanted to uh, do a little research on what that exactly means. And it can mean a couple of things. Uh, it can mean just that exhausted. One commenter on a website I went to said that his father had used to use it all the time, usually after work. And he just said, I am exhausted like a rented mule. Another variation says it's like to beat someone as you would a mule that did not belong to you, like beat without hesitancy. Do you know that Senator McCain once used a phrase like that uh, when they were talking about how he intends to beat Hillary Clinton in the debates? Remember how decisively he did that? Anyway, he said, we're going to beat her like a rented mule in the debates. So there is some precedent for that. Either way, I don't think it's very nice. Wiener is (laughs) a weasel. Is oh, that's not nice. Oh, it's offensive to weasels. That's right. Weasels are adorable little mammals. <laughs> is weasel an idiom? I guess it is, right? Weasel, unfortunately, has a negative connotation. Like, like, like sly, the, sneaky, s- lying. Yes, but we think they're cute. Anyway, there are a number of uh, animal expressions or idioms that are sort of cruel and not very nice. And we're always looking for substitutes for them, like humane substitutes, particularly if they're catchy. So uh, we found a couple of them, and we've incorporated a couple of these into our lexicon, haven't we? So here's one phrase I really don't like. It makes me cringe anytime someone says it. Kill two birds with one stone. Oh, I hate that one. Why not just say it's a twofer? I know. We have a friend who likes it's a twofer, and she uses this uh, strategically, I would say. I sort of like it, but I don't find it very memorable. Mash two potatoes with one fork. How's that? Okay, that's that's better. Water two plants with one hose. Water two plants with okay. one hose, okay. How about this? I like this one even better. Feeding two birds with one scone. Oh, that's nice. Isn't that, and it's got the bird in it, right? And you're feeding. Right. And, and you're caring for and animals. And scone, right? Yeah. Usually if there's a scone in the house, no bird's going to get it, however, because <laughs> uh, it would last less than one day in our house. 
there's another one, Save Two Birds with One Home. But I like the scone one. That's yeah. my favorite scone. Yeah. I think I'm going to steal that one. Another one I hate is there are many ways to skin a cat. Yeah. Another cringeworthy phrase. And people just throw these out and don't really think about what they're saying. It's not I that know, nice. I you know. know. How about there's more than one way to peel an onion? Okay, that's good. That brings tears to my eyes. <laughs> but I like this one better. There's more than one way to peel a turnip. Okay. Another one I dislike a lot, Peter's beat a dead horse. To attempt to convince someone mm-hmm. of something and... You're not really doing a good job yeah, yeah. or you keep on arguing the same port over and over again. <laughs> and you know, okay. the origin of this one, I looked it up. It was in the 1860s when British politician John Bright tried to prompt his uninterested peers in Parliament to pass a piece of legislation and he likened his task to, quote, flogging a dead horse in order to prompt it to pull a load. Yeah. Well, that is understandable in those times that you could do that. It's interesting why some things catch on and why they don't, you know, what you would say going viral these days. Yeah. There's this phrase, human guinea pig, that's pretty literal and uh, reminds us that guinea pigs and other animals have been and are still used to do little tests on. I don't know what you'd change that to that would be interesting. How about sweating like a pig? Yeah. Do pigs sweat? My understanding is that pigs have very few sweat glands, so they don't really sweat. And Peter, I looked up the origin of this one, and it has more to do with iron smelting than with pigs. Really? Yeah. Oh, I did not know that. I bet you very few people would know that, because when you say sweating like a pig, they're not thinking about iron. They're thinking about fat person resembling a fat pig. That's not nice either, but that's where we are right now. Do you have anything against when pigs fly? No, that's great. I know. I like that one. Me too. There's a one I don't like, go the whole hog, which means sort of go all the way or do the task. Yeah. Someone online suggested go the whole watermelon. Do you like that? Eh. No. Okay. You know, I sort of miss Anthony Weiner. He said so many interesting things and I'm uh, sort of grateful for this little inspiration. What else you got, Lori? (laughs) He's still a weasel. No offense to weasels. (laughs) I love weasels. Okay. We got it. Okay. Moving along. What else you got there? Okay. Uh, cat got your tongue. Okay. That's pretty innocuous. Yeah. Okay. That's not like offensive, yeah. like how it did, needs to be changed. How did that originate? I would like to know that. Oh, here's one. Let the cat out of the bag. I okay. know the origin of this one. I bet you that's not a pretty image. It's. It really is not. Go ahead. So obviously the meaning to reveal a secret, yeah. right? So this was in 1700s, marketplace vendors often sold pigs inside of a bag or a pig in a bag called pig in a poke, right? Mm-hmm, okay. But you didn't want to buy a pig in a poke because you weren't able to see the quality of the pig or even if you were getting a pig. So scam artists would try to sell a bag containing a cat, I guess, which was not so valuable instead of a healthy pig, unless you were smart enough to first let the cat out of the bag. Oh. Okay. Well, here's uh, another one that's not too cruel. It's raining cats and dogs. That's pretty benign and neutral, right? Right. That goes back a long time. The exact origins are are not known, but it probably goes to the 1600s. Then in 1738, Jonathan Swift published his book, which was a satire on the conversations of the upper classes. And one of the characters fears that it will rain cats and dogs. You know, Peter and I read it originated in the 18th century during heavy rainfall, dog and cat carcasses would flow down along the streets. You know, I read that too. I thought that was refuted, but I guess we'll never know. My mom used to say that a lot. It's raining cats and dogs. Yeah. It was never a phrase that I really used. 
Well, I think I can bring up this idiom now since we are in the middle of the summer in the hot desert. Okay, I think I know where you're going. Yeah, dog days. Do you know what it means? Like dog days of summer? Yeah. No, I don't know what that means. And people do think it, it refers to dog days of summer, like hottest midsummer days, uh-huh. right? I say that, but pro- dog, probably not saying it right. Right, but dog days dates to ancient Rome when Romans noticed the hottest days came when the dog star, otherwise known as Sirius, was oh. visible in the sky. Did you know oh, that? No. Yeah. Oh. I'll be a monkey's <laughs> uncle. Okay. <Aye>. okay. <laughs> Okay, Lori, well, there's one more phrase that I really don't like, and maybe we can find a better replacement. In fact, I asked for help on this one, and it is like shooting fish in a barrel. Do you know that one? I know that one. Okay, so I asked uh, my friends online to give me a humane substitute for that idiom, and we got some, a couple of serious ones, a couple of, well, here's what we got. Like shooting politicians in a barrel, someone said. I thought oh, that was good. Yeah, that's cute. That's, that's not cruel. It's that, timely. It's humane. Okay. Right? Uh, this one makes most sense, like taking candy from a baby. So I, that's, that's not... That's sort of cruel. Not, oh. Okay. Someone thinks like shooting rubber carrots in a barrel. That doesn't make too much sense. Another comment, like shooting stars at the carnival. I think that's the little air gun sort of contest. Yeah. So that doesn't make sense to me. That's very hard. I've never done that successfully. Uh, someone said, like, shooting ducks on the pond. They're joking, obviously. And here's my favorite uh, possible substitute for the phrase, like, shooting fish in a barrel. Like, hugging koala bears in a closet. Okay. I think it's a little weird. It's a little weird. It, Why is it your favorite one? I think it's strangely weird. So here's our call to consider substituting humane alternatives for cruel animal phrases and change the course of human history. That is just the bee's knees. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Don't go away. More with animals today, right after the break. You're listening to Animals Today Radio, your home for serious talk about animals. Now, in its eighth year, Animals Today covers all animal-related topics and issues worldwide with an emphasis on animal welfare. Animals Today is a project of the nonprofit animal welfare organization Advancing the Interests of Animals. Its mission is to improve the lives of animals and to encourage increased compassion and respect for all living beings. Check them out at aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. Your donation to Advancing the Interests of Animals will support the ongoing production of Animals Today. Just visit aianimals.org and click Support Us. And thanks for listening. For the past quarter century, International Society for Animal Rights has fought the battle against dog and cat overpopulation. Its programs include reducing income taxes by allowing a deduction for spay and neuter expenses, preventing animals adopted from shelters from reproducing, and requiring the mandatory identification of dogs and cats to prevent dumping the unwanted. For a list of all ISAR overpopulation programs, please see their website at www.isaronline.org. If you're like most people, you have lots of plans. A financial plan, an exercise plan, a career plan. You also need a plan for the care of your pets when you no longer can provide it. Every day, animals are sent to shelters, terrified and confused, because their owners have become incapacitated or died. Unfortunately, many of them get euthanized. Some people don't give the future a thought. Others assume family members will care for their pets. 
A better way is to name caregivers and provide detailed instructions about your pet's feeding, social, play, and health care needs. But even designated caregivers can't guarantee your pet will join a stable and loving home. Good intentions sometimes take a backseat to life's realities, like a new spouse who doesn't like animals, a sudden desire to travel the world, or the adoptive caregiver's own illness. A legally enforceable pet trust offers the only assurance that your assets will be used as you wish to provide for the comfort and care of your cherished animal companions. Almost every state recognizes pet trusts. Find out how to create one today and take steps to make sure your pet doesn't risk becoming yet another sad shelter statistic. Plan for your pet's lifelong well-being. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. That's AIAnimals.org. That's AIAnimals.org. Hi, I'm Lisa Gibbons. I lost my mom to Alzheimer's disease. Alzheimer's is a brutal reality for more than 5 million Americans. No one knows that better than their caregivers and families who suffer too. Research is needed to find treatments and cures faster. You can help fight Alzheimer's disease by visiting brainhealthregistry.org. Brain Health Registry collects vital research information online for free. So do your part. I'm doing mine. Help find Alzheimer's cures faster by visiting brainhealthregistry.org. Hello, I'm Jerry Mathers. I was the beaver in Leave it to Beaver. When I played the beaver on TV, I often got into trouble without even meaning to. Well, years later, after I left Hollywood, I got into real trouble. My blood sugar was through the roof. When I was diagnosed with type 2, I was shocked. Now, the very same natural remedies I use to control my type 2 diabetes are available for you in a super easy program called the Diabetes Solution Kit. If you have diabetes, I urge you to try this step-by-step plan. It has all the natural techniques I used, and it works a lot faster, too. And today, you can try this fast and easy solution without risk. I'm Jerry Mathers, and if I can do it, you can do it, too. If you'd like to normalize your blood sugar and stop taking your diabetes medication completely with your doctor's approval, go to jerrymathers33.com for your free video. That's jerrymathers33.com. Reverse your diabetes in as little as 30 days by going to jerrymathers33.com now. This is Rick Osick, president of Famous Footwear. Our company is working together with the March of Dimes through March for Babies to raise money and awareness about the serious problem of premature birth in the U.S. As a business leader, I know that babies born very sick or too soon cost businesses billions of dollars each year, in addition to the emotional stress on employees and their families. That's why Famous Footwear is committed to raising funds to improve the health of moms and babies everywhere. Won't you please join us in the March for Babies? Start a team today at marchforbabies.org. Welcome back to the show. Here we go again. Another cruel entry in the encyclopedia of ways people harm innocent animals for sport and profit. This time, the setting is the beautiful Chesapeake Bay where docile and innocent cow nose rays are being slaughtered for sport as they migrate to mate and give birth. And now there's newly released undercover video documenting these so-called contests, which have to be ended. And after you hear what's going on, I'm certain you're going to want to take action along with the groups Fish Feel, Shark, and other concerned individuals. 
I am now very pleased to welcome to the show Mary Finelli. She is founder and president of Fish Feel, which is the only organization devoted exclusively to promoting the recognition of fish as sentient beings deserving of respect and protection. Welcome to the program, Mary. Well, thank you so much for having me on, Dr. Kirshner. I really appreciate it. Mary, tell us about these rays, the cow nose rays. Where are they found? What is their life cycle like? And are they aggressive or dangerous to people? Yes, uh, the cow nose rays, they are native to the Atlantic uh, Ocean. Um, every year they come up from Florida to to the Chesapeake Bay to mate and give birth to their pups. People are really taken by seeing them. They, they travel in, in large schools. They are, they're not aggressive. They are very benign. They do have a stinger, but they only use that defensively. And there are people who work with the rays and tell, tell how affectionate they are and how well they can bond with them. And they're really beloved animals. So these affectionate, docile creatures have become the prey of bow hunters. Describe what's happening. Yes. Well, as I said, every spring they come up from Florida to the Gulf of Mexico to mate and give birth to their pups. And because they have been wrongly vilified as consuming the oyster populations, which in fact have decreased due to overcollection for human consumption and pollution and disease, they've been falsely blamed for causing these oyster population crashes. So, um, Virginia started a campaign, Save the Bay, Eat a Ray, and tried to um, market the rays for as food, which failed dismally because they, they spent a lot of money trying to market them in the U.S. and Europe and Asia, and no one was interested in consuming them. Um, for one thing, they're, they have a high ammonia content in their skin, so basically their skin tastes like urine, so it's largely inedible. And so now these bow fishing contests have started or have continued. They've been going on for about 20 years now, but they're really picking up steam. And what they do is these bow fishers go out there and they can ride right, their boats right up on the rays who are gliding along the surface of the water. And they'll shoot them with their arrows and impale them and haul them out of the water. And, and they have been beating them mercilessly um, now because that's been people have had such an outcry against that. Instead of beating them in this most recent contest, they are just throwing them into containers to suffocate. Uh, and, uh, and then they weigh them to try and see who has the heaviest rays. And, and they've gone to such extents as to try to um, zip tie the females shut, because most of these are pregnant rays. Um, zip tie them shut so they can't give birth, just to have them have a higher weight, or actually stuff the newborn babies back inside them. It's just so... Uh, obscene and so grotesque um, to try to see who can get the heaviest rays. And afterwards, we've documented them taking barrels of dead rays and just dumping them back into the river. Or we were to another contest where they were just throwing them right into uh, straight into a dumpster. So it's in addition to being grotesquely inhumane, it's also ecologically reckless. These animals are the mate later in life. They only have one pup per year for each pregnant female. So they're very highly vulnerable to predation. So in, again, in addition to being grossly inhumane, it's also environmentally reckless. This is horrible, Mary. Is the killing legal? Unfortunately, it is. There are no laws protecting these animals, and pretty much anything goes. In addition to the bow fishing contests they have, they have these, these tournaments. In addition to that, they have charter fishing companies that invite people to go out specifically to kill the rays. 
Um, a lot of rays are also caught as bycatch in by um, commercial fishing. So the rays are really just being set upon. They're a, a native to the bay. They are an integral part of the bay. They pay, play a very important role in the bay ecosystem and in the Atlantic ecosystem. So they're very wonderful and important animals, and they most certainly do not deserve this, this persecution. Some of the videos I watched show these rays which are not killed quickly, but that they can suffer for a long time after they are impaled. How were the videos obtained? Well, uh, shark, um, showing animals respect and kindness. They came out and helped us, and we, we documented it. Um, the initial Last year, we did it with cameras, and then this year, shark brought their drones, and we were able to get some really remarkable footage of what, just what they're doing to these animals. Mary, a petition collected more than 137,000 signatures, and yet the contest continues. Even the press in Great Britain has covered this story, but it still continues. That's right. Well, people, when they learned what was happening and they saw what was happening, um, they were understandably and rightfully outraged by it. So we have nearly 140,000 signatures on the petition against it. And because of the media coverage, um, it generated a, a large public outcry. And last year, that caused the government to hold a scientific workshop to address the Ray situation. And that produced a report that essentially exonerated the rays and explained how vulnerable they are to predation. And that was followed by a subsequent scientific report that came out in even stronger terms, explaining that um, the, the science that initially claimed that the ray population was exploding, there's no way that could be happening. Um, and that the rays, it's such a small part of their diet, oysters are, are just a small part of their diet. Um, so they are, are being scapegoated. And they, the scientists came right out and said that 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 they are being scapegoated for the, the oyster situation. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, Chesapeake Bay Office, says right on their website that they don't uh, approve of the rays being removed from the bay. So, you know, there's no scientific basis for it, and the, the science points out that these rays are being scapegoated and that they are an important part of the bay. But despite that, these bowfishers, who claim to be conservationists, continue to kill these rays. And uh, if they genuinely were conservationists, they would take the science to heart and, and realize that these rays need protection, not persecution. Even um, Isaac Walton Leak, who is who was founded to promote fishing, they came out with an article opposing, the really condemning these bow fishing contests. So there are even fishermen who are opposed to it. Mary, who has the ability to curtail the slaughter and what can listeners do about it? Well, we've been asking the Maryland Department of Natural Resources to bring about an end to the bow fishing of, of rays, and they have been very reluctant to do so. They claim they don't have the authority, um, and they also claim there isn't a good population assessment of the rays. But there are some 20 species of sharks that off the Atlantic coast that we don't have population assessments, but there are restrictions on fishing them, so it can be done without a population access, assessment. And we already know how vulnerable the the um, their, the countless ray population is to predation. The International Union for Conservation of Nature and Natural Resources lists the species as near threatened. So we're urging, we're asking the DNR if they don't have the authority, put pressure on whoever does have the authority to stop it. But we believe they do have the authority. We're also asking the governor of Maryland to call for an end to these contests. This is Maryland wildlife. The public wants them protected, and. The state surely has the ability to protect Maryland wildlife. There's no justification for allowing this blood fest to continue. Yeah. 
Mary, what's your website? It's fishfeel.org. And we have the link to the petition on there. If people will go and sign the petition, we really appreciate that. Mary Finelli, thank you very much. Thank you so very much. You look upset. I am, and I'm not sure what to do. My neighbor's dog is tied up outside. He looks very skinny and sick, and I never see food or clean water given to him. You need to report this right away. What do you mean? You should call Animal Services or the police and tell them about the abused and neglected dog. They can help to make sure the dog is properly taken care of. Okay, I can't stand to watch him suffer anymore. What's the number? Even though most of us take good care of our pets, not everyone treats dogs and cats with the care and compassion they need to be safe and healthy. If you see that a dog or cat is not being treated properly, report it to animal services or the police right away. Pets need food and clean water and protection from extreme weather. You can make the difference, and you don't have to give your name. Help stop pet abuse and neglect. Be their voice. Make the call. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at AIanimals.org. That's AIanimals.org. There is no getting around it. The great outdoors isn't so great for your cat. From speeding cars to toxic lawn chemicals, coyotes to cruel humans, cats are no match to the dangers of today's world. The good news is animal behavior experts say cats don't need to go outside to be happy. Your family will be happier and healthier, too, without the ticks, fleas, diseases, and the dead critters the outdoor cats bring their owners. And you will never have to explain to a crying child who or what hurt her pet or why he hasn't come home. Cats can enjoy a happy and safe life indoors. The key is to provide attention, exercise, and a stimulating environment. Play with your cat. It's fun for both of you. You can hide toys around the house, too. Just make sure there can be no detachable parts that can be swallowed. You can protect your cat from becoming a tragic statistic. Tomorrow may be too late. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at www.aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. I'm Bob DeRigo Jones, and this is Let's Be Fair. Actually, it's our 350th edition of Let's Be Fair. So after more than six years of looking at America's legal system, let's do something a little different. Let's look at the legal situation in another economic power, Japan. The Wall Street Journal reports that Japan is struggling with a very unusual problem. It says, and I quote, its people aren't litigious enough, end of quote. That's right. Some Japanese experts actually think they need more lawsuits. Why? Well, 15 years ago, officials there started using law schools in the United States as a model for educating their lawyers. They were able to recruit more students, but public attitudes on suing one another didn't change. Japanese people like resolving conflicts privately, so now they have a lot of lawyers with nothing to do. Let's be fair. Is that really a problem? Here in the U.S., it was once reported that we have 30 times more lawsuits per person than Japan. Now that's a litigation problem. Learn more. Visit our website at centerforamericatv.org. Thanks for calling Consolidated Credit Counseling Services. Can I help you? I sure hope so. I'm in debt. Is it credit card bills? Yes, I have two credit cards that I'm making minimum payments on and another that I'm behind on. I owe about $5,000. What interest rates are you paying? Between 18 and 22%. At that rate, it'll take over 20 years to pay off. Wow. 
20 years? What Consolidated Credit can do is work with your creditors to lower your payments and reduce or even eliminate your interest charges. You should be able to pay everything off in three or four years. What do I have to do? Just give me some details and get ready to celebrate your freedom from debt. We're Consolidated Credit. We're here to give you freedom from debt. Call now for your free consultation. If I had known it was this easy, I would have called years ago. Call 1-800-897-8374. 1-800-897-8374. That's 1-800-897-8374. Consolidated Credit Counseling Services Incorporated, 5701 West Sunlight Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33313. Not a loan company licensed by New York Department of Financial Services and by the Vermont Department of Financial Regulation. Maryland DM19, Oregon DM80031. Do you hear that ringing? I've heard that ringing in my ears for over 20 years. My doctor said... The ringing and buzzing in your ears is called tinnitus, and you're just going to have to learn to live with it. The constant ringing in my ears is annoying. I've tried everything, and nothing worked. So I invested my own money, met with doctors, specialists, and certified labs. After a decade of research, we've developed Tinoxyl, a prescription-free, 100% natural and effective way to stop the ringing. And better yet, it helps me sleep. Trying to sleep with ringing in my ears is almost impossible. But with Tinoxyl, I started sleeping better in the first couple weeks. I'm so confident that Tinoxyl will help you too that I'm giving the first 100 callers a free 30-day supply. Don't let the ringing in your ears control your life. Call now and get your free 30-day supply. Just pay shipping. Take back control of your life. Combat the ringing and start sleeping again. Try it for free. Call 800-930-1669. That's 800-930-1669. Welcome back to the show. Did you hear the great news that after operating for 140 years, the Buenos Aires Zoo is going to close? That's right. This great news was announced by the city's mayor who stated, quote, the situation of captivity is degrading for the animals. It's not the way to take care of them. So these fortunate animals are going to be moved gradually to reserves around Argentina. And we'll have the chance to talk about this monumental closing in an upcoming show. I want to now welcome to the program author Barbara King. Barbara is anthropologist at the College of William and Mary, and she recently published an article in which she delineated her top 10 list of why we should rethink zoos. And I thought she went right to the heart of many important issues we have discussed at various times here on the show. Barbara's upcoming book is titled Personalities on the Plate, The Lives and Minds of Animals We Eat. And her 2013 book, now translated into multiple languages, is titled How Animals Grieve. Plus, she's a cat rescuer, an extra plus in my book. Welcome to the program, Barbara. Hi, Lori. Thanks so much for having me on. Barbara, what led you to compile this list of 10 issues you have about zoos? Well, when Harambe, the gorilla, was killed at the Cincinnati Zoo, and I know that you have discussed this event previously on your show, I felt that it was a good opportunity for me to jump in and try to broaden the conversation beyond that particular event to have us all think collectively about what happens so often to so many animals at zoos. And of course, I don't refer here to being shot, but rather the cost to individual animals in so many ways. People know the name Harambe now. It's a hashtag, a meme, and more. But I could give you so many different examples. I think about the very young gorilla, Kibibi, at the San Francisco Zoo, who was killed when a hydraulic door 
closed on her two years ago. I think of Bantu, a gorilla in a Mexico City zoo who just died when he was sedated to be moved to another zoo, and on and on. And, of course, it's not just the traumatic deaths, but the daily cost to animals of being confined, of being made to act very unnaturally, of being taunted very often by zoo visitors, etc. Barbara, while all the points you make in this article are important, I want to touch upon a couple of these with you now. Let's start with education. Zoos often tout the fact that they provide important educational lessons to people who visit, but I'll tell you, Barbara, I'm very skeptical of these claims. What is being taught here, and what do you think zoo-goers are actually learning during their visits? Well, let me just be brutal about it, because what zoo-goers are learning, and let's think especially of children, you know, walking through the gates, they're learning that animals look, in many cases, bored, They have very small enclosures still. They may have more naturalistic enclosures in some cases, but let's say you're an animal that's a predator and you're not allowed to hunt or act naturally because it might upset the public. I recently, in fact, just four days ago, I was at a, a local place where some wolves are kept and are shown to the public, and a groundhog had gotten into the exhibit. And, of course, this was a grim end for the groundhog and nobody's fault. The wolves were acting like predators, and they were eating the groundhog, and the staff was very upset because the public could see blood on the muzzle of the wolves. And I said, well... They're acting as predators, but of course that's not really what the zoo wants. The zoo wants to control the particular view that people have. So you're not learning about animals in their natural environments or carrying out their species-specific behaviors at all. That is so correct. Visitors to zoos aren't seeing a realistic depiction of how the animals lived. As you mentioned in your article, it's sanitized. And I'll just throw in my two cents. Even a well-done movie or a virtual reality experience will provide a better understanding of what animals in the wild are really like. Whatever the attendees are learning, is there any evidence that this knowledge helps animals at the zoos or animals in the wild, Barbara? Well, I don't want to totally discount the fact that there could be some help for animals in the wild. When I went some years ago to the Bronx Zoo, I was pleased to see that at the end of going through the gorilla exhibit, one can choose where the money that one just spent to get there can go to help wild conservation projects. But let me really put this in context, because that gorilla exhibit cost $43 million. And when I just spoke with National Zoo Director Dennis Kelly uh, in a conversation on air, we were talking about the fact that the new elephant enclosures and elephant trail at the Smithsonian's National Zoo in Washington cost over $50 million. And I could go on with my examples. So here we are spending money to confine animals that I believe should not be confined in zoos when the money could directly be spent in ways that help animals, whether that would be for wild conservation projects or for perhaps sending some of our zoo inhabitants to more sanctuary-like inhabitants. You know, right now we breed animals in order to stock our zoos, and that is a process 
that I hope comes to an end. Another point you brought out concerned accidents that occur at zoos leading to animal deaths and injuries. Recently, a lion at the Oregon Zoo had the tip of his tail cut off by a hydraulic door. And a couple years ago, you mentioned this earlier, a 16-month-old gorilla at the San Francisco Zoo was crushed to death when a hydraulic door closed on her. As long as we keep wild animals in captivity, these accidents are going to occur, correct? Yes, I think so. And I also think it is not a good answer to that point that you've just made to say, oh, there's mortality in the wild, oh, there's injuries in the wild. You know, we are and should be taking responsibility for ethical care of animals. And I don't think that is well served in a zoo setting. I would also add that when we stop and really think about what happens after these accidents, the costs continue to multiply. For example, an older female gorilla named Boang was the grandmother of Kabibi, that young gorilla who was crushed by a hydraulic door. And from what I have been able to determine, she grieved, which is not surprising to me, after the death of her granddaughter. And because so many animals are, of course, sentient and deeply thinking and feeling their lives, it's not only the tragedy itself, but the ripples coming out of that that affect many other animals. And I think about that a lot. I mean, I don't go to SeaWorld, but I think about how when a particular cetacean, a dolphin or a whale, is asked to perform and separated from its family and friends, that again, that cost spreads throughout family and friend networks. So we really need to think about what we know about animals' lives when we assess what's happening in zoos. Uh, Perfectly stated. In your article, you include a comment about the AZA, which is the Association of Zoos and Aquariums. You know, I have to tell you that I have my reservations about this organization. To me, the AZA functions more like a, a trade organization rather than a certifying entity, which they're supposed to be. I think another issue that um, would be great to keep in mind is the ratio of unaccredited to credited zoos in this country. And I want to keep a critical eye on all zoos, but I also want to recognize that there's a continuum of trauma that happens at zoos. So it's very sobering to think that SeaWorld Orlando is on the accredited list in the first place. But think of all the places ranging from roadside zoos to for-profit zoos where they're private owners, where, you know, we don't really know what's going on or the USDA may be in charge. And there's a whole discussion to have about that range of zoos. I always like to emphasize that I have, in the past, done some scientific work in the zoo context, and I do find that zookeepers and zoo staff really do work carefully and compassionately with animals. But that is not where the discussion needs to stop. We need to look at, you know, with the Globe and Mail, that newspaper in Canada said so beautifully in an editorial in June, is that evolving humanity is evolving past the point of zoos. And I really believe that. I think it's time to look really hard at this. You also mentioned that the animals are often teased and taunted by visitors, and many of us have witnessed this. I don't know why people have a need to do this, but it's really so unkind. Do you want to comment on this? Well, I think it goes back to your very cogent question about what do people learn in zoos. To me, the fact that zoo visitors are looking at animals through the glass 
or through a fence or through, in some cases, still bars. It's a very distancing mechanism, and apparently people just feel very apart from and other than animals. I think a zoo is, if you will, an othering sort of place. It doesn't really emphasize our common sentience and our common way of thinking and feeling that it's true across many animals. So I, it's probably, you know, a relatively small percentage of the zoo-going public, but it does happen over and over and over. And I think zoos need to take a much greater role in working in various ways to stop that. Because, of course, what I always think of as my bottom line is the cost to the animals. We can't be asking individual animals to be ambassadors for whole species when the cost to them is impossible to bear. Very good. Barbara King, thank you very much. Thank you, Lori. I enjoy talking with you. Hi, it's Dr. Lori Kirshner, host of Animals Today Radio, and I'd like to invite you to join me each week right here for the latest animal news from around the globe. From animals in the wild to animals on farms and in agriculture to our beloved dogs and cats, Animals Today tackles the important issues about their welfare and rights while promoting compassion and respect for all living creatures. And yes, Animals Today is your home for serious talk about animals, but there's big doses of fun and adventure for everyone. If you want to know what you can do to help tigers in the wild, or whether your family should adopt a tortoise, or why you should avoid buying puppies from pet stores, you will love Animals Today. So make sure to join us on this station each week. Visit us at animalstodayradio.com, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, and join the discussion on Facebook. Thanks for listening. Your Animals Today tip of the day has to do with kittens. If you find a litter of newborn or very young kittens, do not assume the mother has abandoned them. If they are not clearly in distress, their mother is probably hunting for food or in the process of moving them. She may even be hiding nearby until you've gone. You should leave the kittens alone for a couple hours and stay far enough away so the mother feels safe to return. If she doesn't return and you're absolutely convinced they are abandoned, contact your local cat rescue group and ask for advice about your particular situation. And that is your Animals Today tip of the day. This is Rick Osick, president of Famous Footwear. Our company is working together with the March of Dimes through March for Babies to raise money and awareness about the serious problem of premature birth in the U.S. As a business leader, I know that babies born very sick or too soon cost businesses billions of dollars each year, in addition to the emotional stress on employees and their families. That's why Famous Footwear is committed to raising funds to improve the health of moms and babies everywhere. Won't you please join us in the March for Babies? Start a team today at marchforbabies.org. This report is brought to you by Mayflower. Millennials are being lured by major cities, but what will attract them to your city? The 2016 Mayflower Mover Insights study discovered where and why millennials are moving. With one in five millennials moving in the past year, these insights may be the difference between your city seeing the headlights or taillights of a Mayflower moving truck. Of millennials who have moved, nearly half identified love as a reason for moving. Millennials identified experiences as important for relocating, with food and restaurants as a top priority. Millennials continue to be enamored by urban centers, with nearly 6 in 10 wanting to live in or near a big city. Melissa Sullivan, Director of Marketing, Mayflower. 
Our Mayflower agents across the country are moving millennials as they begin new chapters of their lives, and many agents report new careers, relationships, and experiences as drivers of this generation's moves. Findings from our study help us analyze where our customers move and why they are moving. For moving tips, visit Mayflower.com. I'm Bob DeRigo Jones, and this is Let's Be Fair. A monkey, an animal rights organization, and a primatologist walk into a federal court to sue for infringement of the monkey's claimed copyright. Sounds like a joke, right? But it's actually a line from a real court document filed by a lawyer for a photographer who was sued last year by the group People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. To make a long story short, a monkey in Indonesia took a picture of himself using a camera that a nature photographer had left unattended. It was hilarious, and the monkey's selfie went viral. Unfortunately, that's when the real monkey business started, and PETA sued the photographer. It claimed that the monkey, not him, should get any money generated by the photo. Let's be fair. I know our legal system sometimes seems like it's gone bananas, but I'm happy to say that a federal judge has just issued a tentative ruling upholding common sense. He says that a monkey can't own a copyright. PETA, however, pledges to keep fighting. Learn more. Visit our website at centerforamericatv.org. Hello, I'm Linda Gray, and I lost my mother and a dear friend to Alzheimer's disease. Nearly two-thirds of the five and a half million Americans suffering from Alzheimer's are women. Join the fight to help find treatments and cures for Alzheimer's faster by registering at brainhealthregistry.org. We collect vital research information online for free. Please do your part. I'm doing mine. BrainHealthRegistry.org Welcome back to Animals Today. August 20th is the 25th commemoration of International Homeless Animals Day. And with us to describe what this is, is Susan Dapsis, president of International Society for Animal Rights. Welcome, Susan. Hello, Lori. Thank you for having me. Susan, thank you for coming on and speaking about International Homeless Animals Day. As you know, our organization, Advancing the Interests of Animals, has conducted three events since 2010, and each one has been a very successful community gathering. So I want to thank you for inspiring us. But let's begin with your organization, International Society for Animal Rights, and we also refer to it as ISAR. What is ISAR and how did it get started? ISAR was chartered in the District of Columbia over a half century ago in 1959. ISAR is one of the oldest nonprofit animal protection organizations in the United States. Helen Jones, the late Helen Jones, was the founder of ISAR. She was only one of a few back in the day that even had a concern or knew animals needed rights, that rights were to be had for animals. So decades ago when ISAR was founded, the idea that animals had rights was quite controversial, wasn't it? It was. There was a very few people. Um, Helen, the late Helen Jones was one of the pioneers. She brought about um, educational programs, used legislation, other vehicles to, to get the word out there about all kinds of animal abuse, whether it be circuses, zoos, factory farming, 
pet overpopulation. So as the decades have gone by, ISAR has grown to focus its activities on five main areas. And I want to briefly touch on all of them and then speak about International Homeless Animals Day a little more in depth. Is that okay? That's fine. So first, Susan, dog and cat overpopulation. Describe what ISAR is doing there. ISAR is shedding light on the importance of spaying and neutering to alleviate the suffering of countless annual deaths of dogs and cats each year because of the oversupply of dogs and cats. Then we have education. This has been part of the mission since the early days, right? Oh, it has. It has been. We have humane education programs for children, educational programs for adults. We offer public service announcements a variety of uh, material on our website that addresses the issue of dog and cat overpopulation. And animal law is another large part of ISAR's mission. What does ISAR do in the law to promote animal welfare? Well, ISAR has available, thanks to the chairman of our board, Professor Henry Mark Holzer, model legislation, model statutes, monographs that the public or an organization can take right off our website and they can actually go right to the uh, legislator, whether it be local legislation, the federal, the state level, and try to uh, get this legislation, whatever piece they choose, to be enacted into law that would help the dog and cat overpopulation in their state. That's fantastic. Susan, you have a relatively new program whereby you use billboards to provide messages about dog and cat overpopulation and the importance of fixing our pets. Briefly tell us about that. We have billboards up in almost every state now. Um, we have them been working internationally. The importance is people see these billboards and they think about spay-neuter. All our billboards, no matter what the graphic is, all say spay-neuter. We've been very fortunate that billboard companies have worked with us so that we do receive a not-for-profit posting fee, which makes it easy for us to go through the United States and back again posting our spay-neuter message, hoping somebody will see this and knowing that people are seeing this and listening. And finally, International Homeless Animals Day, a yearly event which is coming up very soon. Susan, what exactly is International Homeless Animals Day? It's a day for everybody worldwide, organizations, animal protection, animal rights organizations, animal welfare, animal protection organizations, uh, animal-friendly businesses, veterinarians, people in the community to get together and as one collective voice, shout out the spay-neuter message. And this is done through low-cost spay-neuter clinic speeches given by caring personnel. Veterinarians speak about the importance, the health importance of having your pet spayed or neutered. Shelter workers talk about their experiences when they have to euthanize. And it's a very sad job for them. And they talk about having to euthanize because nobody wants these animals. So it's a day to shed light on dog and cat overpopulation to a worldwide audience. How and when did this get started? This was started 24 years ago, this August 20th. It's always held on the third Saturday in August. It will be our 25th year. Wow. It has been celebrated in 
50 countries, six continents throughout the United States. This was over the period of 24 years. So, Susan, I can attend a local event or organize my own event in my community, right? That is correct. All the information about International Homeless Animal Day is on our website, which is isaronline.org. And everything is there. We will send you a packet to help you, guide you through your event if you wish to hold one, provide posters, provide proclamations that proclaim the day, August 20th, as International Homeless Animals Day that mayors and governors can sign. And if you don't feel you have the time or the resource to hold an event yourself, and they can be very simple. It can be a microchip clinic. It can be a low-cost spay-neuter clinic. It can be an open house to showcase the animals you have for adoption. Um, It can be a fundraising event as well. People like candles. They hold vigils. It's a very beautiful day. Yeah, that's the really interesting thing about International Homeless Animals Day. It really can be whatever the organizers want it to be. And Susan, this truly became an international project. I mean, you've got so many participants in scores of countries around the world coming together on the same day to help animals. It's really quite an accomplishment. And as I mentioned before, my organization conducted three of these events in the past few years, each one a little different. And everyone who has attended said that they were inspired and it gave them energy and optimism to continue in their work to help dogs and cats. And even though dog and cat overpopulation continues to be a difficult problem, these events tend to be uplifting and positive, aren't they? They are. We hear from so many people that they are re-energized and they're going to keep going. They're going to keep fighting. It, It is a very positive day. So for listeners who want to attend an event or even organize one in their area, they go to your website. Say that website one more time, please. It's isaronline.org. If you want, you can go to domestic events, see if there's an event being held in your area and attend one there. Or if you'd like, right there below that, you can just click on send me a packet. I want to hold my own vigil. Fantastic. Susan Dapsis with International Society for Animal Rights. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me, Lori. And this is Dr. Lori Kirshner encouraging you to nurture your love and compassion for the only other beings sharing our planet, the animals. The animals.